Hello, listeners. My name is Jarvis Cocker, and I'm here to tell you you're listening to Light in the Attic. Stay mellow. This is Matt Sullivan from Light in the Attic. Um, I'm here with uh, Charles Bolin and Charles Hayward of This Heat, amongst many other things. And it's a pleasure to be here with you guys. We're at Cafe Auto in London, England. How you guys doing? Good. Yeah. Well, thanks for taking the time to chat. Um, we've been, uh, as both of you know, but to tell people listening, we've been reissuing the records that you guys made a while back for This Heat over the past... A bit um, of a while. A bit of a while, yes, uh, that you guys made... Um, back in kind of the late 70s, early 80s, and uh, three more of which are about to be reissued in the coming months. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, we're, uh, Patrick McCarthy at Light in the Attic was kind of the chief person turning us on to the records and kind of leading the charge. But um, we should kind of mention, you guys have been reforming in a live, uh, a live thing called This Is Not This Heat. And the first show you guys played was here at Cafe Auto in 2016. Yeah, February the 12th. Yeah. And what what is uh, what is it like been to play live again together in these songs? It's being loud. <laughs> um, it's it's been a, an incredibly it's like a learning thing. It's a big learning curve. Um. There's the space between then and now. And when it's like reissuing the records, that's fantastic. And it brings it back into the present day. And we're very, very grateful. And we did a beautiful remaster with, with the engineers. And it's just, it's just good. But then when we start doing it live, um, then there's this thing where there's this 40 years in between. And... Um, 35, yeah. Well, it depends where you come from the start or the end. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> it depends where you start from the, at the start or the end. 40 or 35 years, yeah. So um, there's, like, for instance, the, the thing that most expresses it for me is that there's the chorus on Cenotaph is history repeats itself. And there we are 40 years later doing this again. Mm-hmm. And it feels like... Um, when when the song was constructed, it was like at the end of one iteration of the of the loop, and now and, and we thought, oh, that was there, and then we find that we're inside the loop, and so then you suddenly you're play, you're singing the loop, and it's only because you've got the forty years in between that you can even stand back and see that's this thing, and it's really sort of like, wow, we were singing that it just goes round and round and round, and hey. We're proving it's, it's, it's. We are proving it. The the, the, pl- the planet is proving it. <laughs> so um, on that level, you know, all this the classic sense of irony, as opposed to just a, a, a piss take or a pastiche or something mm-hmm. like that. A real sense of irony, which is one moment, and then another moment. I mean, it's got it's just to the max. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, Plus, we've got this improvisational thing going on, so that always brings it into the present. It's just, it's just like an amazing thing. 
it seems uh, the music, from my perspective, it, it, and I think many Beatles' perspective, it's completely uh, timeless and also feels kind of still the future. Yeah. Um, did you guys, was that your thought in making it at the time? Did you guys see, like, anyone would be care about this music 40 years later? Or do you guys... I was thinking about this the other day. Um, we knew that uh, we were we were sort of out on a limb, as you say. You know, we were we weren't part of any movement, or even though we get classed as post-punk and all that stuff. Um, yeah, you know, all this stuff about you know years ahead of their time and all this stuff. Uh, you know, apparently we were ahead of our time because the amount of uh, respect and interest we get now compared to the time sort of shows that, yeah. Mm-hmm. I think also when we were making it, we, ha- we, we had certain strategies. We, we sort of almost did it as um, without even talking about it. So we would very rarely use the most recent bit of technology because the most recent bit of technology means that I'm just going to use some names that lots of people might have heard. If you've heard Culture Club, Spandau Ballet, um, even um, Squitty Plitty, uh, they're, they're all using the same sort of drum sounds, and it's because they're all wait. They, uh, some of those bands even would wait three months so that the Lynn drum was over here as opposed to only in the States, and then they'd re clue in their stuff with the MIDI tracks, the Simpty, just so that they were sounding like now. Yep. But then what that means is they will then automatically sound like then, within about five years. Yep. So we never really went down that road. The only time we did that was with the version of 24-track um, loop on Blue and Yellow. Yeah, all those bands you mentioned, though, that was, that's all post this Yeah, year, I'm just yeah, using yeah. that as a yeah, for yeah. instance, because it's very and obvious. That technology right? is, but, uh, is post this yeah, year. Yeah, yeah, but it's also... Yeah, yeah, but that sort of thing... Lots of toys and things we found in junk shops, and uh, you know, um, well, obviously Charles had his, you know, Ludwig drum kit. I had my uh, Fender Telecaster, mm-hmm. but apart from that, it was a lot of old bits of junk. I mean, I had a really old um, viola from a, a junk shop. What we call junk shop? I don't think you call them that in America, do you? Thrift store. Thrift store. Thrift store. Yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, and, uh, you know, beating up old clarinet. Uh, you know, Gareth inherited that organ from... Uh, from Dave Jarrett. Dave Jarrett, who was in quite some with Charles. Okay, okay. Yeah, sewing machine lids, old saucepans, chocolate tins. Toy organs. Yeah. There's loads of those. Two, there's two little toy organs on all those tapes we've been listening yeah. to. Yeah, endless toy organs. That um, sounds, it sounds just uh, like the world's still catching up to it. Um... In a good way. Yeah, I mean, yeah. Twilight Furniture, I always thought of that as being somewhere in the future after everything had collapsed. And it was like, um, it was like a, a, a variation on what would be possible with next to nothing. So in a way, even when it starts, like, it's, it's, when, the, when it's, it, when it's a, a lower technology as opposed to a, a, an advanced use of technology, even that was sort of about the future. You know, 
could talk a little more about the live show so that you guys have coming up um, Chicago and Philadelphia and a few other American cities. I mean, it's got to be, again, surreal <laughs> playing these songs, but what do you expect out of uh, Americans listening to these shows? What do you what do you uh, hope to happens at these gigs? Just, just good, good. Well, the response has been um, very, very... Um, uh, it's been, like... It's been beautiful to get this energy, uh, and the energy's coming in a two-prong attack, as far as I can see. There's the, the the thing which is the people who were around when we made it, and then there's the generations that have got hip to it in the time since. Mm -hmm. And um, uh, I've been working with some of the the younger crowd, and they approach it in a less nostalgic way, and yet the old, the other people are approaching it from a point of view of music as memory mm -hmm. I've never really got involved in this idea of music as memory before I'm just realising the extreme power of this Yeah, um, it just really communicates with people because people have already embedded it in and then you re bring it to life yes. and it's already there yeah. so we're getting these two reactions in the audience in this beautifully subtle way it's not like um it's not like binary or whatever the word would be. It's not either or, and it's not even one thing, part of the audience is doing one and one part. But we're getting this totality, which is like, wow. That's beautiful. Oh, it's so beautiful. I can't describe how it's, you know, I'm almost in tears now thinking about it. That's great. It's really just I, I think this, I think the stateside shows should be, I think they'll follow that same thing. I think there's people who probably saw you guys play maybe in the UK years ago and have waited a long time to see it again, plus a lot of, People I'd be surprised if it, well, there won't be any people in America who have seen us be seen the band. There before. might be a few at the shows. Some maybe. Brits who maybe live in. I, I, I have found it very nice, you know, when people have come up at gigs in, uh, say, in Zurich. You know, someone comes up and says, "Yeah, I saw you in, in uh, no, in um, Geneva." Sorry, yeah, I was there in Geneva in 1981, um, yeah. and uh, there was a woman there in, um, in Belgium who'd been at a gig in '79. And um, yeah, it's great that you know those people have for all these years. Like they they were at that gig, they remember that gig with great affection, and and they you know they hear that we're coming now, and they can't wait to come and see us again. And, that's, yeah. yeah, that's really yeah beautiful again. Yeah. Yeah, there's, there's another guy we met at the very most recent gig who we'd seen in the audience at like Denmark and in London and in. Um, Ghent and in Holland. Well, the American guy. No, the English guy with the soft cap. Um, and he told me that he started getting into music because he was—he's he's about ten or twelve, fifteen years younger than us. He got into music in about 1983 or 1984, and one of the first things he got into was this. But we just finished. Stop. So he was like in this weird hinterland of being of the older generation, yep, yep. but never quite seeing it. So that was quite an amusing yep. conundrum he's as well. Waiting, that happens as well. He's been waiting like 35 years. He's been waiting 35 years, and he, if so, he'd yeah. been born, you know, three yeah. years earlier, he would have seen it, maybe. And Pe people who came to the, uh, the gig here at, at Cafe Otto, um, I remember someone saying to me, yeah, I never thought I would ever get the chance, you know, that, that they heard the records and they thought, didn't think they would get the chance to see, you know, a live performance of that, that music. You yep. Know. And what is the band, you guys talk a little about the other band members of the live show right now, who will be on the upcoming US tour? 
Um, Daniel O'Sullivan playing bass and keyboards and a bit of viola. Frank Bing playing some drums and percussion. Alex, Alex Ward. Clarinet and guitar. James Sedwood's guitar. That's it, yeah. And the two of you, of course. And the two of us. Yes. Um, one thing I was curious about is, like, on a whole other note, is what have you guys been listening to lately, personally? New stuff, old stuff. I'm always curious what is on your guys' turntables or phones or what you enjoy. I heard um, Derek Bailey, Tony Williams, and Bill Laswell mm-hmm. from nineteen ninety five. And I think that is pretty amazing. Terry Bailey, Tony Williams, and Bill Laswell. It's like an ECM record, or what? No, it's uh, one of Laswell's records. Okay, wow. Well. Yeah, someone mentioned it like a few months ago to me, and I, I'd never. I was like, really? Because yeah. I'm like a Tony Williams completist. I yeah. want to hear everything that Tony Williams played, even the sort of pretty crap stuff he did, like whatever at the end of the seventies into the eighties or whatever. What, with Wayne Rooney and all that sort of thing. Wayne Rooney. Football. Not Wayne Rooney, what's his name? The trumpet player. Uh, yeah, I know who you mean. Yeah. yeah. Um. Anyway, it doesn't mean really Matt, I got his name wrong, I thought it was a football. <laughs> but Ken, Ken, Ken Rooney, oh, I can't remember now. Anyway, an imitation of the second quintet, really. You talk about that stuff. Anyway, Tony Williams and Laswell and Derek Bailey. I've that up, that sounds great. It is great because. So is it, is it time? I mean, Tony is playing time. He's playing time, but he's also renegotiating how to deal with that thing. Uh, it's just like an amazing record. Uh, Pauline Oliveros and Roscoe Mitchell. Mm-hmm. There's a, a duo, a 10 minute duo of them live. I, I, I don't think it's on record, it's on a CD, uh, um, a, a YouTube clip. Yeah, yeah. <gasps> Transcendental, mm-hmm. that. That sounds great. Yeah. I listen, I listen to so much stuff, um, you know, because of the internet. I hear so much music that uh, it's almost impossible to... Uh, well, I did hear a band recently, which is, you know, they're quite mainstream, a band called Krangbin, who I quite like. You mentioned them to me at the barbecue. Yeah, yeah it's, it's just great. bass, guitar, guitar and drums. Quite stripped down... Uh, Gentle sort of thing. Yeah, I like their records. They're good. Um, did you mention Charles last time I met you a few years ago about David Z? Yeah, you, t- you said you, you checked I that out. I found yeah. that record. So you're not going to re-release it? I would not be opposed to it. I just haven't looked deep into it. But I've listened to that record. I actually, we played some records the other night at Rough Train East here, and I brought that record with me. And it's just you found it's, a nice copy. Found, yeah, online, of course. I could not find it, and. Um, Charles H., you should check that out. It's, it's a great. Tropicalia thing. No, it's uh, it's from. Um, no, that's Tom's there, you're thinking of. David, oh, so you, yes. remember, you remember the Angolan music that I found in oh, Portugal yeah, yeah, yeah. Years, all those years ago? Beautiful music. Um, and the, the album cover I love too, which just has a great vibe to it. Is he still alive? No, he got no. shot like a couple of years after that record. Wow, okay. He was, he was like a, he was an activist. And the yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, it was all that. Um, a lot of that music from Angola at that time was MPLA music. Yeah. You know, it was revolutionary music against the Portuguese occupation. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a fantastic record. Yeah, thank you for turning me on to that. That was really cool. I'm, I'm enjoying the legacy of Jay Diller more than I'm 
enjoying necessarily what Jay Diller made. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I think there's there's a whole. Um, it's almost like the, the, there's um, there's the surface, and then there's this stuff down at the the, the at atomic structure of rhythm, and I think a lot of people have learned from what Diller did, and they're starting to learn to play like that, and I think some of that is really revolutionary actually sort of like deeply radical yeah um, and uh, some of the live things I've seen of like sweaty clubs with really quality players like Thundercat and people like this but in these like dives mm -hmm. it's like oh this this new beyond hip hop thing it's, it's connecting with them the whole New York loft free jazz thing as well. Yeah, Thundercat, like uh, Flying Lotus and Kamasi Washington, there's some really great jazz Yeah, players. yeah, and of, some of the drummers, Chris Dave. Yeah, I don't know if I know him. Um, Is he yeah, the drummer on, on some of that stuff? He's on some of that stuff. Okay. And then um, even people like, uh, very white guys, like from, from like Romsford, Romford or something, like um, Pino Palladino. Mm -hmm. Oh, yeah, yeah. It's yeah. sort of like when he's in the right milieu, yep. he, he becomes like so... Fantastic. The bassist, you know. Yeah, I mean, I, I, when he was on the stuff in the 70s and 80s, it was like, oh, for God's sake, turn that off. And when he was playing with that crew, that yeah. crew. Well, D'Angelo, he plays with. Well, on that amazing. record, yeah, he's amazing. like, whoa. Yeah, yeah, Black Messiah is like my favourite. Slip. Yeah, but it's, it's like there's a surface and then yeah. there's this thing underneath, which is the instability of the rhythmic structures, which are also stable. Mm -hmm. Amazing. Yep. Yeah. Timeless, so good. Yeah, it's so good. really, really interesting stuff. Do you one, guys? Uh, sorry, one of my favourite discoveries in recent months is um, I've had a comment with the name of the band, but they're from Albania, and it's a it's been recorded by Joe Boyd. You know Joe Boyd? Yeah, yeah. Um, it's um, the album's called "At Least You Could Wave Your Handkerchief at Me" or something like that. Oh wow! It's it's my favourite you know so-called world music uh, yeah, yeah. album I've heard for years because it's it's really nicely recorded by Joe Boyd. Yeah, he's great. And uh, is it done here in, in London? Or? I think it's. I'm not sure actually. Oh, he's cool. really good at just going uh, where people are comfortable and recording them there. As far as I understand it, there's a couple of records of his that are sort of almost like recorded on porches. Mm -hmm. um, Got brilliant, brilliant clarinet playing. Um, it's just. I love it. I love that record. Yep. I really yeah, recommend I that to. That's what's the artist's name? You can't remember. No, I can't remember yeah. the name of the band. It's, um, but oh. you'll find it. You know, Joe Boyd recording uh, handkerchief. Okay. Something about <laughs> wave your handkerchief. Okay, okay. The reason why I sort of half laughed when you said Albania was because I spent a holiday in Corfu, I think it was, with, with Leslie, and that was the place that people would swim from Albania across. And it was like, I was thinking about waving, and then you could say this thing about the least you can do is wave your handkerchief or whatever. <laughs> and it was just like, when you said that, it was like, oh yeah, that is the, that feels like an Albanian experience, at least back then it did, if you know what I mean. There's a picture of a, of a sort of lady in traditional dress, like waving a handkerchief uh, on the cover. <laughs> yeah. Oh, that's great. So, I was gonna say really quick, Moses Boyd Exodus. He's a drummer I saw recently, a British drummer of jazz, kind of jazz, but like yeah. you kind of described like the New York loft kind of vibe. I mean, he's I listened to that album yeah. and um, I wasn't that I into it, but, the but then the other day I heard one great. track off that. I was like, oh yeah, this is fucking good. Is that the guy who played recently with Tony Allen? I know, um, I, wouldn't be surprised. I know Frank knows him. 
He's a really young black London drummer. Yeah, there was this young. I saw a video of Tony Allen meets, and it was like, wow. Yeah, that's it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I've seen that as well. A few yeah. months back at South by Southwest, the festival in Austin, Texas, there, there was a, um, a British jazz showcase with him and a few other people, all really young. And he was just phenomenal. I mean, solo drum set by himself for about 30 minutes, and just like had everyone captivated. Really the track I heard was uh, Moses Boyd playing drums and a tenor player, okay. another young tenor player, yeah. just drums and tenor, which isn't the format I would go for that often, but yeah, it's very, very good. That's referencing late called Train Yeah, yeah. Well, thanks again. It's been an honor to release you guys' music. Thanks for thank you. Thank you. For, yeah, thank you as well. And thank you for the opportunity to remaster it so nice and. Thank you for doing it right. It's, <laughs> it's important for us to do it right. And yes. Um, well, we look forward to seeing you guys in Los Angeles. Yeah. yeah. So love, the last thing said to tell me to